Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah. I'm Ryan Cabrera, your co-host, and I am here in the land of Israel on, of all places, the Mountain of Blessing in Harbracha. And let me just tell you, I'm very excited to be coming to you today from this place specifically to talk about this topic. And so today we're talking about Yom Teruah and the 10 days of awe, and I have what I would consider an expert, but you know, I don't know if he would be so bold to consider himself an expert. Uh, but I have Avraham Hermon here with me. Uh, tell us, I mean, how do I introduce you, right? I mean, I, I, I think there's uh, many things. Like I, I actually referred to you today as the international man of mystery <laughs> of all things. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if I can live up to that, that uh, title, but I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I've been living here in Harbracha in the Shomron for the last 20 years. And uh, I'm an Israeli by choice. I grew up in the US in Pennsylvania and California and New Jersey. And uh, after spending childhood there and being exposed to Israel, I decided that I need to make my future in the homeland of my people, of my family and return to Israel. So after studying here for two years, I went back to the US, got a university degree, um, came back and uh, that was my first Aliyah, moving to Israel. And then my second Aliyah, my second moving up was moving from um, the coastal plain in Israel to here in Harbracha, the Shomron. And um, my day job is that I'm a patent attorney. I'm a partner in a patent firm specializing in pharmaceuticals and biotechnology and uh, chemistry. And uh, I have the pleasure of being involved with Hayovel and I would say teaching on a regular basis to volunteers who come here to Israel. But in addition to teaching, I think I'm learning a lot because I hear some really interesting questions and uh, I get to talk about all sorts of different interesting topics and um, see things from a Christian viewpoint and understand a little bit about uh, you know, where people are coming from from all over the world and actually see people coming and helping volunteering here in Israel. And that's very encouraging for me. So sure. that's a little bit about me. We have, um, I'm happily married. We have seven kids that we're raising here in Harbracha, aged seven to 18. And um, in terms of shofar, I, you see a little bit of the collection that yeah. I have here. A lot of this is homemade. I made the shofar. I'm sort of an accidental shofar collector. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit later, yeah. about how this collection was born and where it came from. But uh, I'd be happy to talk about shofar. I've been blowing shofar for the last 25 years or so. And uh, I feel very connected to shofar and especially this holiday, Rosh Hashanah coming up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a good segue. Um, so when I said international man of mystery, we were talking, uh, I mean, you're a patent attorney, right? And you mm -hmm. say pharmaceuticals and biotechnology and chemistry, which mm -hmm. means not only are you an attorney, which takes a decent amount of schooling and, and practice and expertise to get there, but also a chemist, you said? Yeah. So in order to understand the things that you're writing patent, patents for, right? Yeah. You have to have the technology background from mm -hmm. a chemistry standpoint, right? Or science background. So that's a lot in and of itself. And then uh, 
I mean, many of these shofar, which I know we'll get into later, uh, because I feel like I've seen your presentation one other time, uh, you actually made mm-hmm. these. Um, and then you're a runner, right? Yeah. An avid runner. Marathon uh, runner. Marathon runners. See, this, so there's a whole, there's, there's, there's a level and then there's another level, you know what I mean, to everything in life. And I think uh, one of the things I'm noticing about you from the very limited uh, interactions that we've had thus far is that if there's a way to do things that you're going you're gonna to do the, the next level of whatever it is. I hope so. I think that, you know, part of what fascinates me about Shofar is that um, I'm into the do-it-yourself and craft aspects of, uh, uh, and the, the intersection between that and Judaism. So um, I've also learned how to do kosher ritual slaughter for, for birds and also learned how to write uh, scribery, how to write a Torah scroll and tefillin and for both of my sons, now I have a second son who's going to be starting his tefillin journey, starting putting on tefillin in about a month or so. So I wrote for him his tefillin also. So for me, that's a big accomplishment. I'm really connected. I guess every every person has to find those parts of the Torah that speak to him. And the parts that speak to me, I think those are the ones that you can really do hands-on, craft-type type applications. So that's the, the outcome is here in front of you. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Well, again, I appreciate you being here with me. I uh, What I... The, the topic, the big topic for today is is Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. And Yom Teruah means day of blowing. Is that mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So it's not Yom Shofar, right? So what, why do you think the Torah says Yom Teruah instead of Yom Shofar? So it's interesting. You know, um, I didn't really think about this specific question so much, but uh, there's an urban legend that uh, the Eskimos have seven ways of talking about snow, um, <laughs> because that's that's what they live with. That's their right. that's their environment, you know. So, uh, um, Hebrew, the Torah, in its original, has a lot of different words that talk about this concept of making a blast, right? You have tkiah, you have teruah, you have shofar, you have yovel, right? Even the word yovel is a reference to shofar. And, and yovel meaning jubilee, like where well, we're it, at today. It also, it also means jubilee, oh, right? Okay. And, you know, in Exodus, when it talks about the, you know, Mount Sinai and the holiness of Mount Sinai, it says, and I'm going to quote the verse, and it's original, which means when you hear the blast, right? When you hear that sound, of, and it's referred to as Yovel. Yeah. Okay. So that's the same word as Jubilee. Okay. And there's a connection also. Because there is a blast that's done on. Right. Jubilee is also associated with freeing of slaves. Sure. And blast of shofar and gathering of people, returning to your to your source land, to the land that's yours. Okay. All right. So so there's a lot there. So let's let's back up and, and think. Uh, I think there's, and you may even want to pull it up, uh, in Leviticus 23, uh, I know that you'll have a better version. The original is always better than the translation. Amen. Um, so Leviticus 23.2. Okay. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So um, this is uh, Leviticus that, talking about the, um, the holidays. And I guess I could read Leviticus uh, 23.2, which reads, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, the times of, of God, of the Lord, which you shall call holy name, holy days, 
These are my days. These are my times. And then the next verse. Sure. Three. Sheshet yamim te'asem alacha. Uviyom hashvi'i Shabbat Shabbaton. Mikra Kodesh. Kom alacha lo ta'asu. Shabbat hi l'adonai b'chol moshvotechem. Six days you shall do constructive work. And on the seventh day is the Sabbath, which is called holy. Any constructive work should not be done. It is a Sabbath to God in all of your dwelling places. So, so my understanding from, you know, I've, I've been exploring the Torah now for about 10 years from a Christian perspective. And I look at that and I, I get the impression that God is instituting and inviting uh, the people that would be attracted to him and following him to meet with him. Is that, I mean, uh, like a, like we say feasts in English and I don't think the word there is really feasts, right? It's, you said it times instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a real reference to the concept of feasting, but at the same time, um, I do agree with you that there is this element of meeting. And uh, right now, you know, we're in this strange sort of situation now. The Jews are returning to their land. They're in this process. We're seeing you know, Jewish independence in the land of Israel the last 70 years. But at the same time, Jewish life is incomplete without our holy temple. And right. when you read the Torah, you get a sense of, oh, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's all happening at the temple, right? And um, Especially in Leviticus. Especially in Leviticus. Yeah. Especially having to do with the holidays. And we had a special commandment of um, being seen before God. Sure. Three times a year. Maybe even... Part of, we talked today about the covenant between God and people of Israel. And um, maybe even part of that of commandment of coming to the, to the temple and being seen before God and rejoicing there is actually even a renewing of that covenant or a sort of refreshing of that covenant that was made. Being able to say, hey, I'm connected to the people of Israel. I'm connected to the God of Israel and I'm connected to this place, Jerusalem, where the Holy Presence rests and getting the spiritual batteries recharged. And those would be the three main holidays of Sukkot, Shavuot, and, and Pesach. Uh, I said them in the wrong order. Sure. Start from Passover. But, you know, I'm just thinking about Sukkot, the Sukkot holiday yeah, coming, coming up. Yeah. And uh, the Shavuot holiday and the, and the pa- Passover holiday, these are the three main holidays with this commandment, special commandment to be seen before God, bring sacrifice before God. And I know today it's a little bit hard for us to, to realize. You know, in other words, we're, we're accustomed to eating meat, you know, most of us, and uh, we're kind of removed from that whole process of understanding where that came from. Because, sure, meaning you know, the slaughter. Slaughter yeah. and, you know, um, sacrifice. Right? For, for us, sacrifice means something else. Sacrifice on a very simple level means taking an animal and sacrificing it and basically understanding, hey, I am, should, be, should have been there on a certain sense. Mm. And I'm, I am giving a part of myself or I'm sacrificing a little bit of my, of my, my own wealth or my own property to God. And, and you know, this is distributed, it's burnt on the, on the altar or it's distributed among the priests and enjoyed by the priests. Some of it might be enjoyed by the o- owners as well. And we're, we're very far removed from, from that. It's hard, it's hard for us to relate to it, but that's a big part of, of the, the feasts as well. Yeah, it's just so funny how many, like you talk, right? And your perspective makes my brain go on, you know, bunny trails of questions that, you know, I want to stay focused on obviously the, the holidays, but like just, just what you said about the sacrifices and how we're removed from it and how in some way that 
should or could have been us, right? Instead of the animal. I think in my mindset, the way that I've always looked at it from a biblical perspective, sacrificing is that it's it's because of our sin, right? But there's almost because we get to partake of the flesh of the animal, right? That that it could have been, you know, reversed, mm-hmm. so to speak, right? Yeah. It well, never even crossed my mind. Well, the truth is there are a lot of different types of sacrifices. And, and if we were to have right. a podcast dedicated to Leviticus, a <laughs> yeah. podcast episode on Leviticus, we could spend a lot of time talking about it because there, yeah. are, there are those sacrifices that are completely burnt. There are those that are brought for sin. There are those that are brought out of thanks for God. Um, there are those that are brought by the community as yeah. a whole. Right. And those that are brought by, you know, everyone contributes to the daily sacrifices and, or to the holiday sacrifices that are brought in the temple. But um, interestingly, Leviticus, this chapter 23, is not really focused on the um, special sacrifices of the holiday so much as Numbers, Numbers 28, which yeah. also is another account of the holidays. But there it's really focused on, okay, what are the special offerings that are brought there? And here it's, it is focused on the holidays themselves, what special commandments are there of the holidays. And we know Rosh Hashanah, which is coming up, is Yom Teruah. And and I think that a special connection for us of Yom Teruah is, you know, what we have here. This is, in fact, an example of a ram's horn. You know, why do we prefer, Jews prefer to blow the shofar from most communities, including my community, we prefer to use a shofar like this. This is the shofar that I'm going to use on Rosh Hashanah next week um, in the community. And in our prayers, uh, the early morning prayers, I will be um, the one who's blowing the shofar there using this. Why specifically a ram horn, ram's horn? And I think this connects to the idea that we were saying. Abraham went to give the ultimate sacrifice, his future, right? his legacy, mm-hmm. his whole worldview was against human sacrifice. And God says, you have to sacrifice your son. He's willing to do that. Yeah. He's willing to go ahead and said, basically, I'm removing my self because I'm basically cutting off my descendants. There aren't going to be any more because I'm sacrificing them. Um, all my ideology, everything I've been preaching, you know, against child sacrifice, I'm, that's, I'm breaking that. Right, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and do it. And God says, no, no, you have done enough. You, you showed a willingness to sacrifice your son. And Abraham is like, I need to do something. And he takes, he finds miraculously, there's a ram happens to be right there, right? Caught in the that? thicket, yeah. Caught in the thicket. And it just happened to be at the same time there's a ram caught in the thicket. He takes the ram and he slaughters that instead. And we say, we are connected to this legacy of Abraham. We want to also sacrifice, right? Mm. We are willing to give God everything. Mm-hmm. But we don't, we don't. We understand that his command is not to give us, not, yeah, yeah, not yeah. to give everything. And we conjure up that image of Abraham by blowing the shofar. That's one of the things that we're thinking about when we blow the shofar. There are so many different things we're, we're thinking about. Yeah. And hopefully we'll be able to cover some of them here. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So then Leviticus 23, we read uh, those first few verses. This is an introduction to the invitations that God's going to give to his appointed times throughout the year. And you have the spring feasts, so to speak, or the spring appointed times, Passover, unleavened bread, and uh, first fruits, and then all the way up to what? Shavuot to the Feast of Weeks, uh, mm-hmm. or what we would call Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are really very connected, right? Because right. there's no even date for the Shavuot Pentecost holiday. Right. It's just count seven weeks from this holiday, and you know seven weeks of seven days, and you'll get to this holiday. Yeah. So these are two parts of one unit, one big holiday, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, so in 
mainstream Christianity where I, you know, uh, started my faith journey, uh, there's this thing called Pentecost that I had no understanding of what it was. Even though like in the New Testament, it, it, it says uh, the introduction to, to Pentecost, it says the day of Pentecost had fully come. Well, it never occurred to me to, well, what does that mean the day of Pentecost fully come? I'm reading the events that happened after that statement thinking, oh, this is the event. But 1,500 years prior, there was a Pentecost, right, that had happened at Sinai. And even the word Pentecost meaning 50, it's like, oh, 50 days from what? You know, like these things that, you know, until you start to dig in, right, almost like there's breadcrumbs that are left that for those that are seeking, they're going to follow them and find the Mm -hmm. answers, right? But if you're not seeking, then you're going to kind of glaze over it, so to speak. So, So then... You have all of the summer now, and the summer is where, uh, I guess traditionally we get ourselves into a pickle, uh, right? There's a, a time um, where if left to our own devices, right, we need to be looking forward or, or, or whatnot. Um, we come to this time of the month of Elul, which is the time that we're in right now. And I mentioned to you before we started recording that I had uh, done uh, what I would call a devotional. I don't know what uh, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, who wrote the book 60 Days, would call it. Uh, Pastor Nick and I uh, actually had done that one year together. And it's just a perspective of of walking through Elul, right? Teshuvah, the season of Teshuvah, and then walking through, um, you know, Tishri, the, the month of Tishri. Mm-hmm. And... I, it's one of those times I think in life, cause I think sometimes you drink from a fire hose and there's only so much that you can assimilate, right? So I got so much all at once that like, it'll take me probably years to go back and really absorb the bits and pieces. But I'm interested in your perspective, you know, an Orthodox Jew living in the land of Israel, prophecies being fulfilled all around you like every day, like, you know, like you sneeze and oh, look, there's a fulfilled prophecy. And, you know, you drop your keys and oh, look, another fulfilled prophecy. You know, like just the things that I'm walking around and I'm picking up pottery, you know, off of the ground, just right over here on the hill behind us, you know, and I'm just like, and I'm thinking to myself, well, so I wonder who had this pottery, you know, like, like what's the story? Because it's, you know, you could look at it as, oh, there's all these shards, you know, there's so many around, but like there's there's a story behind, you know, each one of these things. It was this used in a, a feast or, or whatever. And so um, back to, you know, coming back to, to Yom Teruah, how do we, like, you're, you have this month of, of Teshuvah. Has the month of Teshuvah always been part of the fall feast? Or is this something that was implemented later on in a, in a somebody came up with, hey, you know, we have these, these summer months where we have, you know, the three weeks of affliction and the ninth of Av and all these right. things. Uh, what, maybe we should take some time before we get to the fall feast to like really prepare ourselves, you know? What, was there a time where it didn't exist and then it was created? And is there any history behind that? I don't really know what the history is behind the the month of Elul itself and it being connected to uh, the feasts and Rosh Hashanah and the new year. But it makes sense because you can't possibly get ready for such an, a great day just the day before. I say, okay, it's time. It really needs a lot of preparation. I'm not just talking about myself because I need to prepare myself and practice blowing the shofar. But... I think regular participants in, in the prayer, if you're doing Rosh Hashanah right, you need to be really thinking about it. You need to be going through this process even beforehand. But uh, we understand that um, Elul, the, the month of Elul is really a sort of an acronym. And a little bit like what you mentioned previously, 
Ani le dodi vedodi li, which is the verse in Song of Solomon, which addresses, I am to my, I am for my beloved, and my beloved is to me. That's Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed. Those are the the letters of Elul spell out this sentence. If you take the very first first letter of every word in the sentence, then you get Elul. Uh, I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me. A special time of closeness, and essentially saying, okay, this is the time where you have to think about what you're doing. We start also, um, our custom is to blow the shofar every day of the month of Elul. Um, not a large amount of shofar blowing. Three blasts after the prayers on uh, mornings. Um, there are various customs as to special prayers that are said before, at dawn, very early in the morning or late at night and um, after midnight that um, we actually start tonight and some, some customs start tonight, the week before Rosh Hashanah with these prayers. Some customs are to start um, the whole month of Elul. The Sephardic custom is that, that the very, from the very beginning of Elul until Yom Kippur, until uh, so four, basically 40 days, with the exception of Sabbath, there are these special prayers, wake up early in the morning to say these prayers. Uh, so there's definitely an ancient tradition of Elul, which is not biblically mandated, it's not mentioned in the Bible that Elul is a special month or connected at all to, uh, to Shuvah. Um, the Torah teaches that you could do Shuvah at really any time. But this is a time that's especially ripe for it. Yeah, I got a book um, somebody turned me on to because you know, Teshuvah, just the season of Elul has been something that, uh, I don't know, I've always been very, I say always, since I discovered it, so to speak, uh, which is gonna be probably five years ago or so, I've been very interested in it. And so there's this book, uh, Sharei Teshuvah, Mm-hmm. Uh, which is gateways of Teshuvah, gateways yeah. of, of repentance and, and Teshuvah being the concept of turning back to God, right? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, there's a Greek word in the New Testament that Christians use uh, that has more of a, a mindset change, but we, I think, understand for some reason uh, that it's still a turning to God, right? A Teshuvah, to turn back to God. And... Uh, what is what is some some things that somebody would be doing during the month of Elul? You mentioned some some things that are like prayers. You even mentioned three shofar blasts. I was interested, kind of, because you specifically said three. Is there a reason that it's three blasts? Or yeah, well, I think that's the basic unit of shofar. We can even talk about that if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, please. That um, we have two different concepts of. Shofar. One is called Tkiah, which is a one solid blast. Another one is called Teruah, which is a broken blast. And these combinations make up our shofar blowing. Okay. Okay. Question is really, what does this broken blast sound like? There are three different possibilities. Uh, it could be a broken blast that's you know three parts. Could be it's a really very broken blast that's nine parts. Okay. Okay. Or at least nine parts. And it could be. A combination of both of them, three and then nine together. So we're not even sure, I, I guess, the the product of two long exiles, you know, one after the destruction of the first temple and the second that we're still in the process of coming out of is sort of, a, we're a little bit distanced to exactly what the main tradition was. We have an idea, but different communities do different things. So the basic unit of blowing the shofar is first a tekiah, solid blast, then a broken blast, and then a solid blast again. We could do, demonstrate here. Sure, like, sure, sure. So, so you so, said tekiah, mm-hmm. 
Terua and then Takia again. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But the Terua itself. I was going to say because it's Yom Terua. So yeah. that's what I'm wondering about. Yeah. So, so the Terua itself is the broken blast. And what, is, what does that represent? And there, there are so many different explanations. But one explanation is as follows. That when you cry, you know, you sob and it's broken. Ah, uh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sounds sometimes like, oh, <laughs> like that. And that's yeah. really broken. Yeah. I know. That's the trua. Um, the tekiah is the solid blast. One distinct solid blast that's long. Okay. Now, um, when we call out to God and we are, are repenting, then you obviously have that element of crying. But there's, there's a teaching that teaches something a little bit deeper that when there's a reason for starting with a solid blast and having the broken blast and then having the solid blast because it's sort of a representation of the world. Why do we want to represent the world? Because we are celebrating now on Yom Truah, the anniversary of the creation of man. That's part of why we understand that today is a day of judgment as well because the day comes when man was created, a year has gone by, Let's see, where, where is mankind up to? And the Talmud teaches us that all of mankind goes before God and is judged by God on this day. So why do we want to, what do we want to represent when we're representing the world? When we have one solid blast, then we go back in history and back in time to the time of his creation, even before the creation, when there was nothing else and there was only oneness in the world, only God, that's one solid huge blast, clear blast that's not broken at all. And the creation of the world all of a sudden brings into it physicality, multiplicity of objects and of forces. Mm. And you have, if you, if you will, even an idea of possibility of thinking, okay, there are a lot of different forces in the world. It's, there, maybe God is no longer with us. It's God set things into motion, God mm. forbid, right? Yeah, God forbid. And, and there's now nature and there's this God that there, there's this sun God and moon God and everything else is controlling you know, various things. And this idea of mistaken idea, obviously, of multiple powers in the world. Mm. And that brokenness can bring into confusion. That's the brokenness of the creation of the world. Yeah. But then, you know, you go start at this really high point of creation. You go down to the phys- physicality and brokenness and maybe even hiddenness of God. Wow. But then our goal in this world after man is created is to bring us back up, to bring the whole world back up to the point of oneness, yeah. of unity of God. But now it's with along with the creation. In other words, mm. fixing the creation, removing the hiddenness of God, bringing to light all the possibility of showing oneness to the whole entire world. According to our opinion, Rosh Hashanah is not a holiday for, for Jews only. It's, it's a day of judgment for mankind. Ever since mankind was created, and we have to go through that process of fixing. Sometimes the brokenness is broken into three parts. Sometimes it's really broken into nine parts and sometimes broken into so many different parts. So our shofar blowing on Rosh Hashanah combines this element of three, okay? okay. So we do this during Elul, this basic unit of so, three. So I, one of the questions that I have just listening to you, you say this is during the month of Elul, you're blowing the shofar daily to prepare for blowing the shofar. That's correct. We're, we're blowing the shofar daily, but in a way to awaken ourselves mm. because we hear the shofar and it, and it awakens us. Okay, yeah. And, and we, we, it's a call to, to proclaim the, that God is king over mm-hmm. the whole world. There are so many different ideas having to do with the shofar, and I've mentioned 
a few of them. Yeah. What we have here is, you know, we're not using trumpets. Why don't we use a trumpet? Trumpet yeah. is a nice sound, right? Yeah. These are these are okay. I guess it depends on who blows them, right? It yeah. depends on on the different types of, of shofar that there are. But why do we use a, an animal's horn? And that one idea that I thought of was as follows. Let's just think about the animal kingdom and what these shofar, shofarot are used for. So we have here a kudu horn. Um, this kudu horn was, someone gave it to me, someone sent it to me from uh, South Africa and someone who had volunteered here and heard my shofar presentation. Wow, that's cool. And uh, it wasn't made into a shofar and it came a few days before Rosh Hashanah and I made it wow. in, into the shofar. It was nicely polished and at the end it was just solid. But let's just think about what these are used for. The kudu, the male kudu, has two long horns, heavy horns, and uses them to show dominance. Mm. And mankind, I think, has this also struggle for dominance. You know, whether they're, the, the man has to show who, who is the, the wealthiest in the neighborhood, right? Who has yeah. the nicest car, nicest sports car, the nicest house, um, the biggest pool. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not just that, you know, Sometimes maybe women will show, try to try to dominate. Who's the who's the prettiest woman? And, right. And like, who's the manager that's worthy of the CEO's attention? Yeah. You know? yeah we're yeah. we're all we're all on this sort of day to day struggle of showing dominance over others, and that's essentially what the horn represents. Because the alpha male, right here, here this is a ram's horn as well. The the ram with the biggest horns with the strongest horns and whoever used them the, the, the best will be able to dominate over all the other rams. And then yeah. obviously we'll be able to win the attention of the females and to procreate and to, to uh, continue his legacy. It's all about himself. Right. He's thinking about dominating dominance over others. Here we have gazelle horns as well. Um, but what do we do... To, what do we do to make a shofar? How do we do it? And the answer is, you take that horn that's used to dominate and you hollow it out, okay? This is the bone that comes inside the gazelle horn. I found this on a run nearby. And uh, from the skull that I found, there are two horns. One of them I made a gazelle shofar. People typically do not use gazelle shofar, but it's a nice, you can use it. According to our Jewish law, we are allowed to use any kosher animal. So any the, clean animal, yeah. Any clean animal that's, except for one. You know which one? The cow? The cow. We don't use the cow. Why don't we use the cow horn? I, I don't know. Well, here we're talking about all sorts of ideas when we blow the shofar. We want to have, we, we prefer using the ram's horn. Why the ram's horn? Because we, this reminds us of another ram. Right. If we were to use a cow's horn, we're afraid that's going to remind us of another cow. Ah, uh. The sin of yeah, the golden calf. The golden calf. Interesting. And, and it would be interesting for me to try to make a shofar out of a cow's horn just to hear how it sounds, but obviously not to use it on yeah. Rosh Hashanah. I wonder what everyone would think. You know, I mean, it's it's interesting. Yeah. So this this co collection was really born accidentally. I was running and I found a, a goat's carcass, and I pulled on the horn just to see if I could come up, get it off, and it, it came off. And I said, okay, you know, this is an opportunity for me to make a shofar. So it really started with this. After learning how to make, how to blow the shofar with this one, yeah, that I, I learned when I was in the army because I knew I was going to be on an army base. I need to blow the shofar there, so I learned how to blow the shofar. And then from this this horn, I then found some gazelle horns, got my hands on some ram's horns, and then obviously the kudu horn, which is the probably the the prize 
member of the collection just because of its size and its yeah. it's tremendous. Definitely design. to your dominance point, you know, yes, it dominates yes. the rest of them. Look, we're talking about when the animal has this on the kudu, right, which is a type of antelope. We're talking about two horns that are this size that are filled with a bone. It's 10 pounds of, of horn. Yeah. It's a huge thing that it's carrying around on its head. It's a lot of energy. But these animals have developed so that this is what they use and, and they grow them big and strong. And you could even see this one has some damage on it because it was it took some hits. It was used. It yeah. was used, exactly. Yeah. This this kudu was not sitting back and relaxing and, you know, munching on grass. Yeah. He was he was, you know, trying to dominate. So so help me understand the connection then. You you so, mentioned about so, them taking dominance. So yeah, so what are why we doing? that instead of a trumpet? Because you're so, saying Yeah, what what are we doing here? We're taking this and we're hollowing it out and we're saying, look, we're not interested in that. Uh, we're not interested in dominating our fellow person. Mm-hmm. What we're interested in is proclaiming God's name and and proclaiming God's kingdom just with the hollow horn mm. disconnected and saying, this is the blast that reminds us of, of the creation of the world. Yeah. It reminds us of the brokenness of, that the world can come to, but also the fixing that we can bring the world to. And that the second blast, and in fact, a part of our shofar blowing, maybe I should, I should demonstrate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but part of, our, part of our shofar blowing starts with the, the tkiah and it has the, the truah in the middle, which is a broken blast. And when we finish the set of blowing, then we do what's called a tkiagdola, a large tkiah, a very long one. And a lot of people try to lengthen it for a long time. I sometimes try to get in 30 seconds of, of blast if I can. Yeah. And what's the idea? The idea is the fixing the the one pure sound at the end is going to be much greater than in the, than in the beginning because it's when when God created the world it was just God and nothing else yeah and now we're going to proclaim oneness of God in the whole world and the whole world is fixed and that's what we're thinking about at the blast of the tekiah gedola of the large tekiah you know I think there's there's something about the sound of the shofar that is transcendent I I remember it, the first time I ever heard a shofar. And it was in a, it was not in anything related to, well, I say not anything related to Jewish custom, but it, it was not anybody Jewish. It was, it happened at a, at a, a church, a very large church gathering. Um, but it, it's, it's funny because I don't remember the first of a lot of like things that weren't significant to me at the time. Like I wouldn't say at the time that I was like, oh, cool, somebody's going to blow the shofar, right? Whereas today, you know, we've, um, even my personally gone and blown the shofar at certain things for events and things to commemorate certain things. And, uh, but I remember that first time because there's something about that sound that I was like, I mean, like something alerted. I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like there's a, um, you called it, you said, you said something like, um, like uh, awaken. Awakening, yeah. Right, like it, it flipped on a switch that like, I was like, man, that, what's, what's that sound? You know what I mean? Cause, right, and it's something that we can't even express in words. Right, that right. I'm having trouble right now. In, in other words, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, look, God, we proclaim your kingdom and we try to do this with words, but words are just not sufficient. Yeah. All, we just need something else to do it, to be able to proclaim this. And it, it's something so simple, right? Yeah. You don't need to have a factory sure. to make it. yeah. yeah. Let's do, we'll do a sample blast. Yeah, of, I want to hear some d- different tkia. shofars, yeah. Okay, so we'll do first, um, um, I guess we could start with the beginning of my collection. You could, see, you could hear, just based on their size, that they, they sound different. This is the goat shofar. Yeah. 
And so that was that was Takia, Terua. It was the yeah. three in the middle, and then what, what would be a and then Takia, Takia at the end. At the end. Yeah. Right. This is a very high pitched sound just because it's small. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Uh, like us. It would be the kazoo of the shofar. <laughs> the kazoo, world. exactly, exactly. I got it. You know, it's good. It's a pocket shofar. If I ever am in a place where I need to. Yeah, I'm in a bind. I need a shofar. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> and that and was a goat. This was a goat. Yeah, this is the first of my collection. And when we the the middle blast, we call it also a shivarim, just to make things complicated. Okay. <laughs> yeah, please. Shivarim is the three member blast. You heard three. And we call the nine really broken blast a trua. I'll try the trua now, but with the gazelle horn. Okay. Okay. All right. And it will also be surrounded. Here. So that's that more broken blast that you're referring to with the nine. Yeah, yeah. And then with the ram's horn, I could take the ram's horn and we'll do the combination. Okay, okay. okay. Which is first uh, Tkia, then Shavarim Trua, three, nine. Oh. And then one. Okay. One solid blast. All right, yeah, yeah. And we could also try to do a Tkia Gdola, like a long Tkia, and think about that idea of the fixing and the, the shofar of the redemption. I mean, there's so much built into the shofar blast. I'm just, you know, I'm, it's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Should we do the kudu? Sure, yeah, 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 let's do it. Catch my breath again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a much deeper sound. Yeah, yeah, much deeper sound. It's a pleasant sound also. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like it. Now, I've, I've, uh, there's some shofars that I've heard that people do, because uh, you can do multiple tones with the same shofar, like a different note, right? Mm -hmm. Two or three notes. Is there any application for that within? Yeah, so I... Follow the Ashkenazic custom. Okay. But the Yemenite custom, a lot of times they'll use a kudu or a kudu-like horn, antelope-type horn, longer horn. And I guess the Yemen community, the Yemenite community, they were in a position where they were trading with Africa. Oh, okay. And they had access to these types of animals. Maybe even in the Arabian Peninsula, there were, there were these animals that lived, and that's, that was their custom to blow this sort of shofar. But in addition to that, 
their um, blasts sound a little bit differently. Interestingly enough, the rabbi who taught me how to, before I, I went into the army to, uh, for Rosh Hashanah, I'd asked this rabbi who I knew, and he was an expert at blowing shofar. And uh, he taught me. And he's actually from the Yemenite community, which is one of the smaller communities in, in Israel, you know, least represented communities. Sure. But um, they have very interesting customs. So their customs themselves, they actually have like a little modification where the tone goes up a little bit. It goes like that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even reproduce it because I don't know exactly how it works. But um, for us, it's more monotonous. We try to keep a steady, a steady pitch. Yeah, the pitch. Yeah, the yeah. pitch is the same, but we just break it up. And in fact, when people, if listeners are out there listening about how to blow the shofar, it doesn't really require a lot of effort. You're not blowing really hard. Sure. A lot of it is the lips. You just have to control the flow of air. And when you're breaking up the sound, it's just you're blocking the airflow with your tongue. Your tongue is essentially going in front of the air air hole that's, that, you know, that your lips are making in front of the shofar. So right. that's the that's the technique. And uh, I think I had a good teacher, so I keep you know practicing. I still have to practice every year leading up to Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited that I have this privilege to to be able to be the one who's uh, at least in our prayer group, the early morning prayer group. We start before sun, sunrise. Oh, wow. And we time the prayers so that we say the Shema prayer right before sunrise, and we start the Amidah, the Shemona Esrei, supplication prayer, right before, right after sunrise. So we time that perfectly, and then the shofar blasts are going to be a little bit after that. Man, you know, what I'm impressed with is just the amount of, of thought and effort that goes into it. And there's something like... Like, God, how can we honor you in the most excellent way? You know, and I That's think it. that yeah. there's, because uh, I, I would say that in within Christendom, right? There's uh, even amongst each other with different denominations, like they're looking at each other as legalistic, or this group's legalistic, or this group is too free, or this or that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than finding out why, you know what I mean? I think maybe that sometimes you just got to sit across the table and listen to the why, and then that answers a lot of the questions. One of the questions I had was just listening to you talk about the Yemenite um, custom. It sounds like there's different customs amongst different groups of, of Jewish people. Is there uh, a right or a wrong way, or do one group see it as the right way or the wrong way? Or I think that um, every group sees their way as the way that's right for them. <laughs> okay. But at the same time, um, I would be very happy if, you know, I have five daughters. So if one of them were to marry, or if all of them were to marry Yemenites and to start here taking upon themselves those customs of the Yemenites, I'd be very happy, you know? Okay, cool. Because every person is meant to follow in the custom of their of their community. And yeah. the Yemenite community was so set apart from the rest of the Jewish communities of the world um, to a point that they didn't have a lot of the traditions that... Uh, that other Jews had, or they had different traditions. And, you know, everyone has their own, I guess, uh, aside from Jewish law traditions, they have their own cuisine, have their own, right, and, that, and that has evolved to sort of a, you know, a, a cultural aspect of their of their community, you know, um, which I obviously appreciate. I like the, the, the food of the other Jewish communities as well. And 
we believe also that if I am, am praying and there's a, a Yemenite synagogue, I'll fulfill my obligation by going to that synagogue. Sure. You know, I'm not going to stay at home. If I'm in a town that this is the only synagogue is the Yemenite or a Sephardic synagogue, I'm definitely going to go. I'm going to participate as much as I can, try to follow along as much as I can, even though 90, 90% is going to be the same. Sure. There's going to be a few percent that's, that's different depending on the community, depending on the, on the prayers. And what's interesting about our community here in Harbor Chaz, since you're already on the topic of different customs, is yeah. that during the week, we, our prayers don't have a set um, flavor to them. In other words, if the, the person who decides to lead is from the Ashkenazi community, like me, he'll say the Ashkenazic prayers. Okay. If someone is from the Sephardic community, he'll say the Sephardic prayers. So why is that in our community? Because we started off as a really small community. On Shabbat, there's enough, there, we, can, we have the luxury now, the community is big enough that we can split off into different prayer groups and, and synagogues. Okay. So, so, but during the week, uh, you know, there's the six o'clock morning prayer, there's a 6.30 morning prayer, there's seven, the 7.30, and it's not broken down into the level of, oh, this is going to be the Yemenite prayer, and this is going to be... Why? Because there's so much similarity. Sure. So I am I'm I'm feel comfortable when there's a Sephardic or Yemenite cantor who's leading the prayers. Mm. I know there's going to be a little variation, but I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. I already become accustomed to it. Yeah. And even what? though I grew up where every prayer would be the Ashkenazic prayer, I think most of American Jewry is from the Ashkenazic community, which right. sort of makes sense, you know, historically. Yeah. People that fled from... From Europe, uh, you know, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, um, these are people typically from the Ashkenazi families, from Ashkenazi communities, and they set up those same sort of communities in North America. Well, it almost seems like, you know, the, the benefit that you mentioned of being here during the week and the weekly prayers, that might change it up a little bit. You know Exactly. I mean? It changes it up a little bit. And Keeps you on your toes. At you know? first when I came here, I was like, Wow, I was so not familiar with Yemenite prayers because I'd never really was never really heard it before. But now I'm like, yeah, this is okay. I get it. You know, the pronunciation is a bit different. The tunes are a bit different. And on Shabbat, people really want to educate their kids in that tradition. So now we have the the community is big enough that we have that luxury. Right. That everyone can can have their own type of prayers, and that way their children follow in their their traditions. Maybe one day this this whole idea of different communities among the Jewish people will fall a little yeah, bit. Dissolve, yeah. It will dissolve and everyone will get um, one standard custom. But at this point, I think it's nice to just, you know, we, we're all praying to the same God. Sure. We're all saying basically the same prayers and we're not, you know, God forbid, invalidating others and, right. and eliminating yeah, others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone has their own way to express their, their prayers to God. Right, and truly it's more just cultural differences. Like like some will say this prayer first or they'll say this, mm -hmm. the longer version of this one. It's something yeah, things like that. Yeah, it's lot. minor differences. Exactly, say, yeah. exactly. In other words, our text of the Shema is going to be the same. Right, know? right. That's right. the essence of the, the essential prayers are going to be very, very similar. Sure, okay. So Okay, so, so back to kind of our core discussion. Elul, you mentioned uh, the Anili Dodi, which I think that's fascinating how, how it, it's an acronym in Hebrew because that's something that from a non-Hebrew speaking Christian perspective, we would just never even come up with on our own. It, it just We have no hope for it, right? So it's very cool to have you know, thousands of years of, of Jewish commentaries and perspectives to, to bring to the, the table, so to speak, even. And then uh, you come to Rosh Hashanah, 
Yom Teruah, first off, Rosh Hashanah meaning head of the year, mm-hmm. right? And, and Yom Teruah meaning day of blowing. Why the two? And then why a Rosh Hashanah head of the year in the seventh month, right? Because it it's a seventh month, okay, right? So the Talmud actually says, well, I'll answer that, that first, but um, the Talmud says that there are four Rosh Hashanahs, okay? Four heads of four, the year. There are four days which are considered Rosh Hashanah, okay? And it goes into distinction, you know, one is the first day of Nisan, the first month. One is the first day of the seventh month. And each one has its own, there are, there are two more, because there's you may have know you may know about the Rosh Hashanah for trees. I, I've been to a uh, tish uh, to, to, be to, shvat, to be shvat seder. Yeah. Uh, when I came for pruning in 2020, and what an awesome experience that was. Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. So, you know why why do why do there need to be four New Years? It's like guys get with the program. Why yeah. don't you just have one? Yeah, it's a year. There's one year, one head yeah. of the year. So I yeah. think the answer is as follows. You know, as a patent attorney, I work with the patent office. They talk about the fiscal year. Yeah. Starting at a certain time, there's the tax year. Every, you know, you don't have to have, it's a cycle. Sure. You don't have to have the same starting point and the same ending point. And from astronomical standpoint, yeah, you know, yeah. our years are based more or less on the relative position of the Earth vis-a-vis the Sun. Sure. Okay? That's, you know, Rosh Hashanah and, and the first of Nisan, the first of the first month, are going to be at relatively the same times. In fact, the Torah tells us, Keep the month of Aviv and make Passover for the Lord your God. What is Aviv? Chodesh Aviv, the month of the spring. Aviv is an actual biological term that refers to a, a, a specific term of um, ripeness of grain. Okay? Huh. In other words, spring is associated with this holiday, and we know spring has to be in this time. And, and how do we, we do that? Because we know the, the word chodesh, what does it mean? Chodesh means month. Chodesh, the word, the word chodesh is a word that means new, it means chadash, same word, okay, new. It means new month, so it means new moon. So if you have a new moon-based calendar, how do you make sure that the first month is going to be in um, Aviv in spring? Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Which is the the barley harvest, the grain? It's the grain. The, The grain has to be at a certain level of okay grain ripeness ripeness okay, right yeah, yeah. you know so the answer is as follows we need to have a lunar calendar that's also a solar calendar okay and the way we do it is by first of all let me just emphasize what the problem is every lunar period our rabbis teach us is what's the lunar period just to make it simple for people who aren't you know ast- astronomers it's the time that it takes from the moon to go around the earth relative to the sun. For it's basically what's called from conjunction to conjunction. There's going to be a sort of a plane that's made between earth and the sun. And as the moon moves around the earth, it has to go through that plane. Mm. That will happen on, it's not the same every single month. It differs from month to month. But on average, it happens every 29 days, 12 hours, and 793 sections of an hour, which each section of an hour is 1,080 
parts of an hour. So roughly, <laughs> wow. we're going to get really geeky now. You're talking yeah. to a guy who is into astronomy and into math. Yeah. 44 minutes and a couple of seconds. Okay? Yeah, okay. So 29 days, 12 hours, 44 minutes is the amount of time that every month should be. How do we resolve that? Some months are 29 days, some are 30 days. About half and half because right. 29 and a half days is the average time of a month. Sure. So now if you take 29 and a half and you multiply it by 12, you get to 354, okay? okay. But we know, you know, because let's say America and a lot of your listeners are familiar with the solar calendar, we know that the solar year, that means from the earth, for the earth to get from place to place, in the same place relative to space, right? Relative to the stars. Sure. From year to year is 365 and a quarter days, roughly. Okay. Why do I say roughly? This is why you have 365 days in a year. Yeah. Except for those days that you have, every four years you have a leap day, right? right, right. On the 29th of February. Except for those days where you, you don't, like the year 2000, where you didn't have a leap year. Right? Sure. Yeah. Why is that? Because it's not exactly 30, 365 and a quarter. So now, believe it or not, the rabbi is putting together the calendar roughly 2,000 years ago, knew, understood all this stuff that NASA has verified is, okay, these are indeed the, the amount of, these, this is the amount of time that it takes for the moon to make this revolution around. Now, um, they understood that, yeah, well, even before then, before this, our modern calendar was made, they understood that we, we have an extra 11 days we need to fit in somewhere. So roughly every three years, we have 33 days of difference between the solar calendar, and the lunar calendar. So let's add in another additional month. Got it. This is the source of the 13th month, what's now known as the second month of Adar, the month that's before the first month, okay? (laughs) Right, right. And that's going to happen in today, according to today's calendar, it's going to happen roughly every three years, but sometimes it's going to happen every two years. Why? Because if every month is 29 and a half days, and I'm adding every three years, it's really not going to be. Then you got enough. two or three extra days there. Yeah, a few on extra the, days. Yeah, so, yeah, I got bottom it. line is in our calendar, we have a 19 year cycle. And out of those 19 years, seven years are leap years that will have 13 months. Wow. And the rest, 12 years, will have um, only 12 months. So, that's our current calendar now. And that ha- that's how the sun keeps up with the moon. But let's go back to your original question. Right. Right. Which is. Remind me. No, no, no. <laughs> I was talking about with Rosh Hashanah. Why you have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Teruah, but yeah. Rosh Hashanah is in the seventh month. Or at so, least the so, way, at least the, the, I think most people are familiar with the Rosh Hashanah that happens in the seventh month. You make exactly. four of them. Exactly, there so are I don't four. Think most people are familiar with those. Correct, correct. Yeah. And and when we say Rosh Hashanah, typically we're referring to to this month, which coincides with Yom Teruah. Okay. Right. Yom Teruah is the biblical name, and Rosh Hashanah is the rabbinic name of the, of this uh, of this day. Yeah. Okay. Because in our in our prayers, we're also commemorating the creation of the world. We're and not just we're not just we're not just commemorating the the fact that the Torah says you should have Yom Truah and that you should blast the shofar. We're also connecting that blast the shofar with um, the concept of the new year and the creation of the world and the reckoning, and and proclaiming that God is King in the anniversary of His creation of man. Okay. So okay, this is interesting. So then in in Exodus nineteen. God blows the shofar, or there's a voice of God that we hear, mm-hmm. right? The sound of, of a trumpet. I guess different translations I've seen, which I'm sure you'll have a better translation than me, uh, or not a translation. Um, so he blows the shofar. And the, I guess there's this connotation there that it's the vo- sound of the voice of God. And you're mentioning blowing the shofar 
at the time of creation, the commemoration of creation. Is there a connection there with it being God spoke the universe into existence at creation mm-hmm. between the tradition of blowing the shofar? I, I guess Yom Teruah is Yom Teruah, right? It's the day of blowing, so that's mm-hmm. where that tradition comes from. But anyways, maybe you well, understand, pick up the pieces well, of what I just... When you're talking about Exodus 19, you're talking about Mount Sinai. Right. So Mount Sinai is a very special, special time. In other words... Our rabbis teach us about Mount Sinai is that the whole world was essentially created and waiting, you know, not fulfilled until this time. Oh, okay. Because the world was created for the Torah to be revealed in it. Okay? Which is a kind of a deep concept. Yeah, yeah. Because you have, you know, the thousands of years, according to the biblical accounts, the billions of years, according to the uh, account of modern science yeah that the world was in existence but was sort of lacking something to make it complete right 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 so you have this idea of okay if the people of israel really need to accept the torah now because if not the whole purpose of the world is going to be in vain Mm. you know what's going to happen to the whole plan of creation and if we understand the idea of creation of man of God's real kindness to the world, being able to make man different than animal. What's yeah. makes, what makes man different than animal? Animal is only worried about his survival, yeah. about his moving forward and his dominating. Okay? Right, right, that's right. What, and that's what this horn represents when it's connected. Right. Once it's detached, it represents something else. Right? But once it's connected, it represents the animalistic desire and drive. There's nothing deeper than that. And comes along... Man and, and God says, you are here to preserve the world, to fix the world, to elevate the world, to make the second shofar blast, right? The first shofar blast existed. The world was, became into this existence of multiplicity, of confusion, of physicality, of drives, of desires, of animalistic tendencies. You, man, are here to elevate it, to bring it back up, almost like a parabola, right? Starts up really high, yeah. goes down really low, but then continues up again. But once it continues up, it can even get to a higher level than before. Why? Because from the, the before the creation, God is a creator in, in potential. Yeah. After the creation, God is a creator. Sure. And that's what we're doing. We're saying we're proclaiming God's kingdom in the world, fulfilling the essence of the purpose of creation yeah. saying, and that's connected into Mount Sinai yeah. because the shofar blast is at Mount Sinai saying essentially, this is the blast proclaiming God is king in the background of, the, of Mount Sinai. Why? Because this is the essence of the creation. Going back to the creation right now here, we're at a high point after creation. We have the potential uh, now to continue yeah. to, to continue. Maybe that's the explanation. I don't know. I haven't really thought about yeah. it so much, but this is just what comes to mind. Yeah. And, and, you know, we could do this all night, I think. Uh, so, so I think as we're trying to wrap up, there's an idea with, there's, there's two things here. Cause we have Yom Turu, Rosh Hashanah, and then we have Yom Kippur. And at Rosh Hashanah, you mentioned this is like a judgment day. And during Elul, I don't know if I mentioned this during uh, this conversation, but there's this idea that the king is in the field, right? That he's more accessible during the month of Elul leading up to Rosh Hashanah. Mm-hmm. But then at Rosh Hashanah, my understanding is that now if it's a judgment day, he's, he's 
there's a full protocol is now in effect that he sits on the throne and there has to be a petition before you can come before him, right? So, um, so you have Rosh Hashanah and then you have Yom Kippur, but there's this t- 10 days in between. Mm-hmm. So help me understand the essence of this, this, what they call it, 10 days of awe, right? From uh, Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. Yeah, so uh, interestingly, you're reminding me of what the, the Talmud says about the, this concept, you know, who is judged on Rosh Hashanah, you know, and, and how does this judgment happen? And, and essentially, the whole world, like we said before, passes before God and is judged one by one, every, every individual. Some are judged favorably, some are not. But in any, any case, the judgment begins, the decision is given, on Yom Kippur, and we have this ten essential days where we call Asertime Tshuva, the ten days of Tshuva. Okay. Where where the judgment has already started. Okay. Mm. We're in between. Yeah. And uh, those who are completely righteous, they're already okay. Those who are completely wicked, they're already judged. Right. Okay? Right. Okay. Everyone else, right? Which we assume that we are. Right. That most of us are. No, in between. Yeah. It's hard for us to understand that we're completely right, righteous or completely wicked. Yeah, you know? interesting. And everyone else is just waiting for that process to be completed. And that process finishes on the very end of Yom Kippur. Wow. Which okay. is the signing of the, the, the judgment. And then our, our year is basically determined based on, on that. Got it. Okay. And, and there's this also concept that the books are opened on Rosh Hashanah. Exactly. And the books are closed on Yom mm-hmm. Kippur. Uh, what is the book? What is this book? So we're talking about the books of life, right? Okay. The books of life. Who's you know, who will continue? And I think it's you know really a figurative sort of idea. Um, what what has a person accomplished over the year, and uh, has he fulfilled his purpose? Has he really used his potential that God gave him? Mm. Has he fulfilled? that potential over the course of the year and what will be his potential for next year? Mm. Will he have, will he continue to have potential? To, will he be able to fix more for next year? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Incredible. Um, well, thank you very much. I mean, I'm just My pleasure. like, you know, I really enjoyed this time. But just um, a word to you and to your listeners. If sure. anyone has a shofar or a horn that they want made into a shofar and to add to this collection, <laughs> I'd be more than happy. I may, I might even pay postage for it, you know, yeah, to get yeah. it sent to me. Just yeah. because I'm I'm doing this for educational purposes. I don't sell any shofar and I just I don't I've just given this presentation so many times to schools and to volunteers coming here to Israel. Yeah. Talking about shofar, educating people about shofar and I hope that uh I'm limited here. I only have four different species. Hopefully. Okay. Know, maybe one day I'll take a, a trip to Africa and pick up as many horns of different exotic kosher species as I can. Yeah, that's interesting. But, uh, so so there you go. So if you've got uh, horns or access to uh, horns of clean, right? Uh, biblically clean animals, you can find that information in Leviticus 11 if you're confused, right. but- Split hooves. Split hooves and choose the cud. cud. Yeah. Yeah, one thing we didn't talk about is the, is the cow, you know? I don't have a cow representative here, but yeah. it would be interesting to hear. It probably would make a nice, nice sound. Yeah. Take a nice, uh, Longhorn, make it make out of it a shofar. Yeah. 
Uh, but if you have one and you want to reach out to me, I can get that information over to uh, Avraham. Uh, my email is ryan at twopraise.net, uh, R-Y-A-N at twopraise, T-O-P-R-A-I-S-E dot net. Um, thank you again so much for being here. Um, I'll uh, put any information or any links or anything that you'd like me to do in the description for anybody to, to reach out. But um, other than that, bless you guys and uh, have a great week. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Thank you.